All right, why'd you get in? Uh, my love of Matt Saunders <laughs> <laughs> propelled me to join the field school, so that's why I'm into archaeology. Your love for Matt Saunders, and so you've done it for several years. Uh, what kept you doing it? Was it, it your love of Matt Saunders? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Bless his heart. Sure, you want the honest answer? Yeah. Why'd you get in? Looks good on your college resume. Like that's a great answer. Why I did it? Yeah. So that's why I'm here also. So you've done it several times. Is that why you kept doing it several times? And it was fun. There you go. Like lots of fun with Saunders. Yeah. Sometimes Priscilla too. This affordable podcast. Yeah. What'd I got in because my brother originally did it and told me how much it meant to him. So I thought I'd give it a try and I kind of fell in love with doing the projects every summer and best two weeks of the year. So Nice. So yeah. that's why you stayed in it? Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Morgan. Yeah. Why did you get into archaeology? Well, Saunders suggested it to me in seventh grade. And also my friends were doing it, like Burke. And uh, my sister was also doing it. So I just wanted to try it out, and ever since I've been hooked. So you did it a whole bunch, though. So why did you, why'd you keep doing it? Well, it was really fun. And also to like, uh, and like interact with the culture yeah. around it, and then also to like uncover the past. That's awesome. Sarah, how about you? Why'd you get in? Uh, my brother did it for a few seasons in Belize, and he absolutely loved it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, so you've also done it several times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? Just wanted to try something new, like leave the country, do something that not most students get to do. Nice. And you've also done it several times, too. Yeah. So why'd you keep doing it? It's too fun not to go back. Nice. Thank you. Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast, you bunch of turkeys. This Thanksgiving, you're going to be dealing with a little bit of... uh, cultural transmission that's going to happen with your family so it's time to flex your anthropological chops check out the google google (laughs) check out the google document that anthropologists for direct action put out uh it's called how to talk to your family at thanksgiving or don't stab uncle bill with the carving knife Uh, they've got a few great points in there um, but touching on the skills that anthropologists have uh they, they mentioned to listen, observe, and analyze in context, uh, to speak to individuals from a different culture while trying to understand them within their own context, and to use their language to speak to them in a way they understand and relate to. Those are all great uh, bits of advice. Um, you know, a lot of us as anthropologists have, have uh, a difficult time explaining what we learn and what we do to uh you know, some of our own family, um, you know, we're not all Indiana Jones, but, uh, remember above all love trumps hate. Um, so, you know, practice compassion, but, uh, also take time for self care. You know, it, it, the holidays can be a really hard time on a lot of people. So, you know, take care of yourself. And speaking of self care, healthcare open enrollment ends on December 15th. So, Uh, Don't put it off anymore. Go to healthcare.gov. This is the 
as I'm recording this uh, before Thanksgiving, this has been uh, the most record-breaking uh, week for uh, healthcare enrollment. I believe the number of, of people who have enrolled so far is up to 800,000 uh, just this week alone, and it's only Wednesday. So yeah, good job, people. Uh, it, you know, Keep it up. Uh, it's time for some direct action. This is something that I urge all listeners of the show, whether you're an archaeologist or not, uh, I, I really urge you to uh, support our national parks. So our national parks are in trouble, and so are we. And in a nutshell, uh, National Park Service employees have a huge backlog of maintenance tasks and not enough funding resources or personnel to do them. And the Trump administration proposes a park entry fee hike to cover the funding gap. Funding parks is good, and we should do that, but the way they're going about it is frankly craven, disgusting, and disingenuous. They're placing the burden on consumers. Uh, That's people visiting parks to pick up the slack for an administration that has demonstrated time and again they want to concentrate wealth for elites and punish the middle and working classes. It's a band-aid that will never stick. It will directly limit chances for students, families, and travelers to experience parks and learn from them, enjoy them, and appreciate uh, the natural areas in the United States. And the administration wants to let unsustainable extractive industries ransack parks for natural resources, and this is a clear play in that direction. So go online, find the National Park Service website, search for the the rate fee hike. I would say the the URL here on the show, but it's it's long and complicated, Um, but there's a link that is not long and complicated. It's godigahole.com. Go there, It'll be in the show notes, uh, or you can just search, you know, National Park Service rate fee hike. Uh, comments are open until December 22nd, so log on and tell them it's a bad idea. If the rate hike does go through, though, uh, the annual parks pass will be the way to go. Instead of paying $70 or more to enter a single park for a single day, you'll be able to pay for the whole year to enter all parks. So it's not all parks that are going to be affected by the the rate hike. Uh, It's it's 17 of them. Um, The 17 parks are Acadia National Park, Arches, Bryce Canyon, Canyonlands, Denali, Glacier, Grand Canyon, Grand Teton, Joshua Tree, Mount Rainier, Rocky Mountain, Olympic, Sequoia and Kings Canyon, Shenandoah, Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Zion. Um, All of our national parks are amazing, but those ones are some of the most iconic, and um, that's going to limit a lot of people's opportunities to go see them and enjoy them. So yeah, go online, do some direct action, tell people that's not a good idea. So our internet is also in trouble. If you enjoy free independent podcasts like Go Dig a Hole, the proposed repeal of net neutrality is going to bum you out. It's not just a despicable authoritarian 
power grab that limits free speech on the internet, it will dramatically decrease communication, innovation, and information while consolidating power and wealth. Millions have already spoken up about it, and apparently that's not enough to stop the FCC. Cool. Don't let that happen. Call your representatives and demand they reject the repeal of net neutrality. So, assuming our internet doesn't slide farther into the hell world timeline, online tools are good for archaeology. I recently gave a paper at the annual Chalk Mool conference on this, and there I focused on the teaching aspects of using podcasts, blogs, and social media for archaeology. So, I'll share some of that here as well as relate it to students and professionals. So one cool thing about conferences is live tweeting them, and I am so incredibly thankful for everyone who live tweets any conference because, first of all, conferences are expensive, and you also you can't be at every conference all the time. Uh, so it's just really nice to be able to follow conferences, especially if you have kind of like friends on social media who can kind of serve as your, uh, your filter and they can be present. Like you, you just share common interests with them. So you know that whatever they're tweeting is going to be fairly aligned with your interests, but also you can expand beyond those immediate interests to the greater hashtag. Uh, so that's one of the things about uh, live tweeting conferences is great is you can follow them uh, from wherever you are, which really democratizes conferences and bypasses a lot of the accessibility barriers, whether that be physical barriers or financial barriers, logistical barriers, whatever they are. That's great. Um, so as far as understanding the digital platforms for promoting archaeology, whether that's for teaching or professional collaboration or just getting out there as a learner, whether you're a student or an early career archaeologist, um, a good starting point is to understand what Web 2.0 and Web 3.0 means. So Web 2.0 is a shift from static to interactive content. And that happened in the mid-90s. And Web 1.0, as it were, uh, were, uh, like I just said, static pages. So those are just like normal websites that you have no interaction with. Um, you know, it's just there. You consume the content and then buy onto the next. Um Web 2.0, an example of the shift to interactive content is blogs with comment sections. So you can have some kind of say, you can have some kind of input, you can kind of steer the conversation uh, as a whole in the comment section. Um, but, you know, as we've seen with comment sections, they're not always a good... Um, Good indicator of uh, progress or understanding of a topic. Um, anyway, Web 3.0, there's a lot of debate over exactly what Web 3.0 is and when it came to be, but for the most part, it marks a shift from interactive to expansive user-generated content. And 
it's important to keep in mind with web 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, all of these are terms that are borrowed from uh, marketing and communications fields. And so these are borrowed and adapted for archaeology, but they were initially established as, as like marketing buzzwords, right? So there's a, there's a lot to bear in mind in terms of, you know, like creeping ne neoliberalism and, you know, commodification of content, right? And so in archaeology, we're constantly facing that in just publishing archaeology. There, there are raging debates in publishing archaeology on the ethics and uh, sustainability of publishing archaeology because it's, it's a for-profit system, right? So uh, you, you've really got to be mindful and tread carefully as you're looking at becoming archaeologists as content producers, right? So you're, you're content creators and you're going to be looking at content consumers. But there's so much to gain, though, in terms of understanding the dynamics of these digital platforms for promoting archaeology to the public and to learners and also just being someone who is engaged in these media uh, consuming content, creating content, interacting with the content, so on and so forth. So uh, this is the point where it's really important to understand, um, you know, really the full depth of, of where Web 2.0 and Web 3.0 goes as an anthropologist. So you've got to really engage your full anthropological skill set in terms of understanding the holistic factors involved in creating and consuming digital content. But moving forward, uh, digital content, just like any other sort of uh, medium or, or tool, when we apply it to archaeology, it, it has a place in the archaeological toolkit, right? And so just like theory and method, digital media has a place in archaeological practice and so for social media understanding the strengths as potentials for high engagement um, but very dependent on network factors or blogs being evolving documents that are based on user input or podcasts that are easily consumable that have large network potential if properly applied uh, you know you can do a lot in terms of archaeological education and public engagement and collaborative uh, efforts as well as teaching. But there's a lot to consider before you even engage in any of this. Uh, the first of which, and, and there's been a lot of discussion um, online and, and in publications, but it always bears repeating, is cultural sensitivity. So um, there are best practices you know, like never publish the location of an archaeological site and also be mindful of, you know, cultural values and norms. So, you know, in the United States, um, you know, Native American groups uh, do not appreciate having images of 
uh, human remains being published. And also there are, you know, it varies group to group, but uh, certain items, you know, should not be viewed by the public. There are certain items that should only be viewed by tribal members and uh, should, uh, you know, should not ever be accessed by the public. So these images are often widely available, especially for archaeologists. We often know uh, where to find these images. And, you know, sometimes we're often exposed to uh, the primary source of these images. So, you know, human remains or, or uh, you know, sacred items and stuff like that. Um, you know, for some really good discussions of that, refer to the the Heritage Voices podcast. Uh, Jessica Yaquinto and Lyle Belanqua are, you know, just really, really in tune with that, and they have a lot of great discussions. And there are so many indigenous voices out there that are saying these things in much better ways than I ever could. Um, so if you're ever in question of the cultural sensitivity issues of something, consult someone from the culture you're trying to portray. Another is just, uh, um, in, in terms of, you know, going beyond the stewardship of cultural resources. Another thing to consider is your professional liability. So if you happen to have more activist stances, you need to make sure to have some kind of disclaimer out there that, um, distances you from your employer uh, because I, I've run across many, many uh, federal archaeologists and you know academic archaeologists even who will decline to comment on things on you know podcasts or blogs uh, or even social media because there are institutional uh, sanctions against speaking up on certain things and so you know even if it's just a simple disclaimer that says uh my views do not reflect those of my employer that's one way to get around that um and then you can you know take some some harder stances on things um but those are things you know like there's there's so much scrutiny on academics and archaeologists especially left-leaning ones in the current political climate that uh you know you read in in the news almost weekly now that you know some leftist professor gets sacked for sharing a leftist point of view that is you know totally academically sound but um you know they they took a few too many risks and they end up falling out of line of, uh, you know, the guidelines, which are, are quite, quite narrow, you know, so you've got to find out how narrow, how narrow of a lane you have to tread. And often, uh, maybe you have to either tread within that lane or speak on anonymity or, you know, get someone to speak as a proxy for you. Um, you know, I've I've had many people come to the podcast who have shared points of view uh, via proxy or, uh, you know, shared a lot of things in confidence that, um, you know, they can't share on their own. So, you know, that's another thing is, is maybe find someone who can speak for you, uh, who can give a platform to you. And 
on that note, you know, I'm, I'm always game to give a platform to anybody who has something to share. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be defended culturally right now uh, in the United States with, in terms of preserving cultural heritage, uh, preserving you know, academic freedom, preserving opportunities for uh, innovation and study and inquiry, and also just outright intellectual honesty and integrity when it comes to inequality and climate change and responsibility. Uh, it's just absolutely being undermined every single day by the current administration. I'll get off my soapbox there. But uh, yeah. So anyway, on the note of uh, social media, <clears throat> if you're going to do it, you'd better do it right. There's a big difference between frittering your time away and getting an actual return on your investment on time. And I say this often to a, a lot of people around me, if you feel like you're howling into the void, you probably are. Because if you're not getting any sort of engagement, then you're missing a target, right? So if if nothing's bouncing back, then you're not hitting anything. Um, and so you've got to, at that point, consider that as like a build, measure, learn opportunity and come back and and retool your strategy so if your digital uh if your digital engagement strategy is is not hitting anything then retool it and consider your targets for engagement uh, and you have to think farther into that into who has an incentive to connect with you and what outcome do you hope for in actually creating any content so if you're going to put something out online who do you think is going to look at it and what is your end game? What do you want to get out of that? A good way to shape the strategy for social media when you're thinking about you know, who you're going to connect with and what you hope to get out of it is to look at the community of inquiry model. Uh, and I was turned on to this by Megan Paramaki Brown. Uh, she's a longtime friend and, and recent colleague and mentor. But the community of inquiry model, uh, if you look it up or check out godigahole.com for the show notes, there will be links to that there.
has a lot of guidelines for how to shape a teaching model or really adapt it to an engagement model, whether you're a, a professional, a teacher, or even a student. Uh, so if you're looking for collaboration or teaching or, you know, kind of marketing your own position or, or promoting your own work, all of that applies to the community of inquiry model. And so you can have, um, you can have some learning outcomes, you can have some communication outcomes. Uh, so the, uh, all of those are things to consider in terms of shaping the way that you put information out there and the way you handle that once it's out there. And the way you handle engagement and furthering the, the discussion and, and really creating knowledge and building a community of learners and building the community of learners is pretty crucial to the community of inquiry model because it requires a trust relationship. And this goes back to something that Jessica Yaquinto has said on you know both my podcast and, and hers, the Heritage Voices podcast, is you know, there's a trust relationship that really transcends whatever project you're working on because it guarantees that you're going to have some kind of engagement beyond the project, right? So once your project ends, you still have some kind of obligation to the subject that you've engaged with, whether that's a student or a tribal member or another colleague or just the general public. You know, it builds accountability and it builds honesty and integrity. And that's the kind of thing that supports you and it keeps your networks warm as you go on, you know, to other things. Your network will always expand if you can have a really deep, trusting re relationship with everyone that you're engaging with. So for some good examples of massive user engagement in public archaeology on social media, uh, the Public Archaeology Twitter Conference, hashtag PATC or Patsy, uh, is a really one-of-a-kind conference, if you will, in archaeology because it's hosted solely on Twitter. And what it does is it is it democratizes conferences because anybody who has access to Twitter has access to the material that is discussed during the conference. And so <clears throat> this happened last week, starting on Thursday, November 16th, which was uh, my birthday. But uh, it also enhances accessibility. Like I had mentioned earlier, it really removes all the barriers for financial, physical, and logistical accessibility. Uh, and it's very public facing. So anybody who happens upon it or anybody who's looking for this kind of material uh, who's outside of archaeology can readily find it. It's, it's, it really doesn't get any more public facing than that. Uh, and this is uh, fronted by Lorna Richardson and James Dixon. And uh, they've done it two years in a row, 
and it is fascinating. So if you happen to be on Twitter, or really if you're not on Twitter, uh, you can still search it. You can you can still look for it. It's just hashtag P-A-T-C. Um, and there have been a lot of very important messages shared, a lot of really, really good perspectives brought into it. Uh, this year's theme was uh, equality and uh, what better field than anthropology to study that. Another great example of uh, using social media for uh, promoting archaeology is the hashtag ArcRimo. It's, uh, it's uh, whatever you call it, an abbreviation of Archaeology Writers Month, which is a spinoff of Academic Writers Month, which is a spinoff of National Novel Writers Month. <clears throat> and what it happens every year in November. It begins with a pitch or a thesis or an abstract. And what it does is it builds the opportunity for guidance or encouragement or accountability throughout the month as you work on your pitch or your thesis or your abstract to produce a product at the end of the month. So at the end of November, the goal is to have a paper or something uh, that is research-driven, that has been encouraged and guided by, you know, just uh, emotional support or academic and professional collaborative support over social media uh and it's great and both uh the the public archaeology twitter conference and archaeology writers month really really rely heavily on archaeology twitter and this is one of those moments where uh it's important to give a shout out to all of the members of archaeology twitter and there are too many to name individually, but if you if if you look recently on <clears throat> on uh, Go Dig a Hole on Twitter, uh, I gave a, a follow Friday following at uh, Pre Cat Lady. It's it's Kate Ellenberger's advice. She was a guest on the podcast a few episodes ago. Um, she's one of the the I think in my mind at least, central members of Archaeology Twitter. Archaeology Twitter is just a really great community of archaeologists, and they're very supportive and collaborative, and there's such a wealth of perspective and experience and uh, specialty in all of the people who are active there. And uh, it's one of those things where if you reach out to one you end up getting the resources of many. And uh, it's been amazing for me, and I'm always happy to welcome others to it. So uh, that's why I'm, I'm very quick to recommend Twitter over Facebook, because when we're talking about Web 3.0, we're talking about massive, expansive, user-generated content that is interactive. And Facebook is far less interactive, and it's much more influenced by... Um, things that can throttle content. So whether that's just the algorithm of Facebook uh, 
as it is uh, that shapes the way your content feed goes, or if it's the moderator of a group, or if it's just the way that comments are weighted in a group uh, that makes you know some posts sink to the bottom and some posts linger at the top. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can bias the exposure and the collaborative potential on Facebook that make me argue that that is that is a lower potential there's also been a lot of academic studies on twitter because it is so dynamic uh and so that's another reason why i keep you know weighting twitter with a little more value than than facebook uh is because it has such a more uh democratized appeal and so you know one of the studies that i cited in my my recent paper was by manka and Ranieri in uh, 2016. And something that was interesting that came out of their study was they had looked at using Twitter for for teaching or for uh, promoting your work for collaborative potential. And so they, they did a massive study on it and they found that uh, Twitter is not exactly effective for teaching. However, it is very effective for connecting with and, and, and promoting some sort of productive engagement with people of similar interests, and that builds collaborative potential. And that's the kind of thing that we see in archaeology Twitter is there is a community of people who have generally the same interests, and within that, you can you know, find these little spurs or be directed to other individuals that have more specialized interests and that leads you down little avenues. And, you know, there tend to be these connections formed that end up producing either jobs or publications or research projects, so on and so forth. So as far as the benefits of blogging archaeology goes, uh, blogs are more adaptive, they're faster paced, than traditional uh, peer-reviewed publications. They have broader accessibility, and depending on who's writing it, they can have a comparable caliber of research quality. And with it being an evolving document using the comments section, um, a good person to look to is Bill White. He's got the excellent blog, succinctresearch.com, uh, he writes mostly about CRM archaeology and the perils of academia, um, but he, in a recent conversation, uh, mentioned that he uses the comments to kind of steer as editorial uh, guidelines to uh, steer his writing so that he can kind of put out blog posts as, as trial balloons for uh, more academic geared publications later on and as far as podcasting archaeology goes there are so many barriers to using it there's uh the logistics there's the funding there's the equipment and then there's promoting it uh i don't do the best job of it um you know in and all of the things i'm saying here in in this podcast and in the paper i wrote I've carefully researched them and, you know, many, many people have written out best practices. I don't follow them. 
Uh, maybe the podcast would do better if if I did. Uh, I don't really feel like it suffers, but um, you know, there's there there's expert advice, and uh, I don't always follow it to the letter. But in all these things, it's always good to give shout outs to people who have influenced your work. Just like musicians name drop, even if it's just for a diss track, archaeologists should name drop by citing and so forth to give proper credit. And because everything we do is building upon others' work, right? That's, that's part of our field. We're, we're always developing the field. We're always pushing it in new directions. So we have, to, we have to start from a known point and move on from there. But digital media are useful tools, but they're not useful for everything. So it takes a thoughtful, adaptive approach to building a, a teaching or a engagement model with digital platforms that will actually work for you and, and have some kind of meaningful result. And that's really the thing to bear in mind all the time is a meaningful result. Uh, and it goes back to building relationships. So uh, there's great collaborative potential in social media. There's, there's you know somewhat great outreach potential with blogs. And there's enormous outreach potential for podcasts. But it takes all three of them working in conjunction. Or it takes all three of them working in concert with a carefully designed strategy uh, to really build an effective model. So uh, look for the work of uh, Megan Paramaki Brown and Sean Morton and Ola Seitzenen. Uh, they've, they've been heavy influences on me lately uh, for, for digital teaching and uh, promoting archaeology digitally. And, uh, you know, just stay tuned. There's a whole lot of stuff at you know, I, I mentioned it earlier on. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff that I, I've been working on in stealth mode that, uh, you know, just out of respect for intellectual property and, and uh, you know, for client confidentiality that, you know, I've, I've had to keep under wraps for a while. But, you know, once everything is ready to go, uh, there's going to be some pretty cool stuff coming out. Um, And one other exciting thing to mention is that Go Dig a Hole is, if you don't know already, is a, a certified nonprofit. It's a 501c3. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a lag time for being able to accept charitable donations uh, through the Department of Revenue. But uh, what that means for any of the current uh, Patreon subscribers is that um, I'm going to be shutting down the Patreon. Uh, I'm incredibly thankful for all of your support uh, up until you know being able to take charitable donations. But I'm going to uh, I'm going to to build some links on GoDigAHole.com uh, so that you can shift your your donations over in the same amount for the same award structures and uh, you'll still get everything that you've been subscribing to um, but now you'll get to write it off as taxes which is great for everyone right so uh, that's awesome 
Also, I've got some speaking engagements coming up throughout the Pacific Northwest. I'll be talking about public archaeology, teaching archaeology, podcasting archaeology, and uh, my experiences in field school, both as a learner and an educator. Uh, all of your contributions are incredibly appreciated, and uh, I've already been able to do a lot of amazing things with your support. So thanks again, and please uh, share this with any of your friends, colleagues, classmates, students, teachers, whatever. Thanks for listening to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Uh, you can also find me online. I'm very online. Uh, the blog is godigahole.com. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms at Go Dig a Hole.